I think my purpose is to share people's stories, share my story, um, share any stories that will impact people's lives. And, um, and I love the idea of the content that I create living beyond me. I do. Um, I try not to get too wrapped up in legacy and all that crap, but there, when I do allow myself to take a step back and look at the work that I'm creating and to, you know, have it impact people beyond just like, you know, the small circle of runners to actually create runners, people who have told me that they started running, um, you know, not necessarily hundred milers, but marathons, five Ks because they've seen a film of mine. Man, like you can't put a price on that. That's Billy Yang, and this is episode 39 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and welcome back, or welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from top athletes, coaches, and personalities in the world of running. And this week is certainly no exception. I am excited to welcome my good friend, Billy Yang, to the show. Billy has been one of my most requested guests since I started this podcast a year ago, and I was finally able to pin him down for an hour last week in Austin, Texas. Uh, Spoiler alert, an hour was not nearly enough time to cover all the things that I wanted to talk about, so I'm going to have to have Billy back for a round two at some point. And with any luck, it won't take another year for that to happen. For those of you who don't know who Billy is, Billy is one of the most preeminent filmmakers and now podcasters in the trail and ultra running space. If you're not familiar with his work, I recommend checking it out at billyyangfilms.com or the Billy Yang podcast, wherever you like to listen to audio content. I guarantee you that it will move you in some way. It has moved me multiple times over the past several years. Billy and I touched on a number of different topics in this episode, including how we got our respective starts in the content creation business and why we do what we do. We talked about when he picked up his first video camera and realized it was something that he wanted to play around with and eventually pursue. Uh, We talked about how losing his dad spurred a lifestyle change and led him to quit smoking and start running. We talked about Billy's struggles with low self-esteem throughout his life and how he's worked through those times, self-consciousness and dealing with outside opinions, embracing the journey and living a life that's authentic to him, what he sees as his personal purpose, and so, so much more. One quick warning in advance of this interview. There is a little bit of adult language scattered throughout, so please be wary of that if your kids are around and listening in. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy my conversation with runner, filmmaker, podcaster, and as he likes to say, swing for the fencer, Billy Yang. We're about to podcast with Mario. This is so meta. (laughs) Well... This has been months in the making, and it's finally here. Dude. Billy Yang, welcome <laughs> to the Morning Shakeout Wait, podcast. Wait, am I hosting you or are you hosting me? TBD. TBD, yeah. But I'll play the role <laughs> of host for now, and we'll see where this goes over yeah. the course of the next hour or so. Dude, how? I mean, before we officially start, how long have you and I been talking about this? It seems like yesterday when you and I were having these coaching sessions, so to give people a little bit of background, I'm already hijacking your show. By the way. <laughs> to give people a little bit of background, Mario coached me for about six or so months leading up to Leadville uh, 100 last year, 2017. Yeah, early 2017, and we would spend we, we would do our coaching talk for like the first half of it, but then the second half we just totally geek out and talk about media, podcasts. Um, content, running. And to interrupt you, neither one of us had a podcast at the time. Mine, That's right. 
launched exactly a year ago mm -hmm. at this time, um, late November, early December. And it was probably shortly after that, I started bugging you to be a guest on the show and you agreed and it's just never worked out until now yeah. since we're, we both happen to be here in Austin. And I can't remember exactly when you started your show, but these are continual topics of conversations uh, and they have been for a long time. Yeah. You and I were talking about starting our podcast at some point. I think I was encouraging you more so than um, really thinking about it for my, for my own self, but I, you know, one of the things that I always got hung up on and basically my entire life was about trying to perfect it instead of just writing it. And I think a lot of that stems from maybe a little self-consciousness about outside feedback, um, something I'm still learning to adapt to. And I think if everyone's honest about it, you know, I think everyone would be inclined to agree that outside opinions matter. So hemming and hawing a lot of hand wringing for a long, long period of time. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? Let's just do it. Figure it out as I go along. And I think your approach has been more or less the same. So I started mine about maybe a month before you officially right. launched yours. Because I remember when I launched mine, you were like, oh, shit. It's on. Can I cuss on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. okay. Like you were like, oh, shit, it's on. Like I got to get my ass in gear. And then the morning podcast, the morning shakeout podcast came to be. Well, it was definitely inspiring for me because I was dragging my feet as well. Right. Because when you put something out into the world, number one, it's a very scary thing. Yeah. And number two, when you've been doing that in other ways, yeah. you want it to be perfect. You want it to be presented well. And I had no idea what I was doing with podcasting to some degree. I still don't know what I'm doing <laughs> with but podcasting. We're out. I and, think people have yeah. a lot of, um, you know, empathy for that. I, you know, but that was the kick in the butt I needed because I was like, all right, well, Billy and I have been talking about this very loosely <laughs> and he got his out into the world. I got no excuse now. And that was really, that was really, so thank you, the kick in the butt that I needed to get the Morning Shakeout podcast. Well, you know, this is somewhat, um, this is somewhat timely, but, you know, recently there was a, there was this back and forth of FKTs being set at Grand Canyon, right? I think, I think outside influence, as much as we say like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just doing my own thing. I think uh, the whole iron sharpening iron thing, I think it, you can only be encouraged. If you approach it the right way, you can only be encouraged by other people and peers. And, um, you know, instead of seeing them as competitors, I think we're just, you know, rising tides and whatnot. So. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but it is the same exact mentality. I yeah. mean, that was the motivation that I needed to finally pull the trigger and make this thing happen. And you see it certainly in running, as you just talked about what's been happening in the Grand Canyon, all these women setting FKT after FKT yeah. and then challenging it all within, you know, a few days. And, and we see it on an even greater level, especially with the prevalence of social media and Strava. You see someone getting out there and getting after it in their training and they might be training for the same event as you or maybe something at the same time. And it inspires you to get your shoes on and get out there and, and run harder. At least it does does yeah. for me. And I hadn't thought about it quite like that in the context of- Yeah, I don't know how linear it is, but, but I do, you know, when it comes to uh, like film content, for instance, um, you know, when somebody releases a running film or, you know, does something in our, you know, in the running space, I, I never see it as competition. Same. I only see it as like, oh shit, like time to step up my game, you know? And so I'm, I'm loving- all the people who are coming into the space and, and doing content because I think it just, it helps me get my butt in gear, honestly. Well, and I 
and I, I won't speak for you, but I think you feel the same way mm-hmm. as an indie content creator who is working for himself and seeing, I mean, you've been creating films for a long time, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but seeing the rise of the independent content creator, especially in, in running and people who are sharing not only their own stories, but stories of others on a much smaller scale than we've seen in the past. It's, I mean, that's inspiring to, to me and, and, you know, your work is, you know, is certainly part of that. Like it's, in, it's inspired me to do better and to tell better stories. But I think, you know, the more that's out there, the more everyone benefits, like we push each other to do better work, yeah. but there's also better content out there for people to learn from, to be inspired by, uh, and, you know, then to even share with others. Well, you've been storytelling for a long time, you know, you, in your own version of uh, writing through a competitor. Sure. Um, <laughs> and I was just about to launch into a question, but I forgot this is your podcast. <laughs> you can, yeah. you can add, no, let's just go back and forth. Yeah. How long That's have you why. been doing what you've been doing? I have, this is very, I think this is the natural like graduation or, or, uh, progression of what you're doing. And that's why I've been pushing so long for you to do a podcast because you're used to talking to people, interviewing people, and um, you know the podcast just seemed so natural for for you to segue into. I would agree with that, and I had been thinking about it for a long time. And as I had said earlier, I was dragging my feet for a while, but I have been in the running media business, and I'll use that as a very general term or content creation business for. 14 years now, I think since 2004, since I graduated from college and even a little bit before that. I remember when I was in college, there was this now defunct website called runinsight.com, (laughs) run-insight.com. And had a dash in it. It did have a dash in it. Um, (laughs) I remember that very distinctly. And it was unique in that it covered all things running, but it had a very division two slash three collegiate slant to it. And I was a division two runner. And I would actually post my training log Mm -hmm. to that site with additional insights. And then I wrote a couple blog posts while I was still in college for the site that got read by people around the country who I ended up connecting with years later, which is one of the awesome things about our sport. And then when I graduated, I started doing some freelance work. I was working at a newspaper as a copy editor. I had a local running (laughs) column. I was doing interviews for another defunct site, mensracing.com and fastwomen.com, which was owned by the New York Roadrunners. And I remember interviewing Meb for the first time and Abdi Abdurrahman and Kevin Sullivan and Alan Culpepper and Dina Castor, then Drossen. Uh, And that's how I got my start. And most people know me from my work at Competitor because I was there for six and a half years and had this platform to put stuff out. What did you study in college, by the way? Philosophy. Philosophy. Philosophy and psychology. And so this was a natural. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a nat- I've always enjoyed writing. I mean, a major reason why I majored in philosophy is because I hated taking tests, but I loved writing papers because I could form an argument and as long as I could back it up, oh, I was yeah. never really okay. wrong. I wouldn't fail. Yeah. I wouldn't always get an A, but yeah. I wouldn't fail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've been creating content for a long time and, you know, my favorite thing to do when I was at competitor and even before competitor and, and has always been was interviewing people. And I would interview people for stories and I would take their quotes and I would weave it into a greater narrative, which I always enjoyed. What I started to enjoy even more and what I loved about the men's racing fast women thing is people just read the interview. Mm-hmm. It was transcribed into text, but it was my question, their answer, very straightforward type of thing. And I, I always enjoyed that 
you know, that format. Um, and podcasts weren't a thing. Audio was not a huge thing back in the early oh, dude. Back then, 2000s. it was all about blogs. Yeah. Um, I actually, whatever notoriety I have these days, I had a, like even tinier bit of it through uh, a blog that I wrote. And I don't know what happened to it. I got the domains got a little bit screwed up, but that's where LA Runner came to be. Sure. Um, it was larunner.blogspot.com. And then I think I eventually got LA Runner. I Hold that re- thought because yeah. I want to I want to dig into that okay. a little bit more because this will this I promise you my listeners this podcast will be about <laughs> Billy. Um, but to finish answering your question, I've always enjoyed interviewing. And when I left Competitor in 2016, I I had the morning shakeout already. I started it while I was at right. Competitor, and I had started doing I call them going long these just transcribed interviews and I would put big photos in there and mm-hmm. I still want to get back to doing some more of that I think I can probably transcribe a lot of these podcasts and make them into similar type of things because people enjoy that format they can spend more time with them not everyone loves audio but the podcast was a natural evolution for what I was already absolutely doing and I'd recorded a bunch of interviews but in the past when I would record interviews it was always under the knowledge that no one was going to listen to these but me. Mm-hmm. So I could stumble on words and I still stumble on words and you could ask long yeah, rambling questions one, and I still not- <laughs> answer long, still ask long rambling questions. But now knowing that people are going to, to listen, you do approach them a little bit differently because you want them to be presented well and you don't want to sound like an idiot on yeah. a microphone. Um, so it was really a natural progression. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And here we are a year in and finally interviewing Billy Yang. I think you were going to be, I think you're going to be episode 39 or 40. I'm not exactly sure at this point, but it's been, it's been super fun. I'm excited to see where I can take it in the next year or two. Well, you're doing a great job of it. And um, I'm honored. As are you. Yeah. Um, I, and I'll just put this out there. I don't really do many interviews. I've actually turned down a lot of podcasts. And I know that sounds very self-aggrandizing, but um, but you and I have a special, unique relationship. So I think this was a long time coming for the two of us. Well, I appreciate you granting me the interview and the <laughs> that time. sounds so <laughs> douchey, but um, I just wanted to put that out there when um, other podcasts listen to this and be like, I thought I asked Billy and he essentially said no. And it's, um, I don't know. I'm, I don't. Well, this like, is some good foundational stuff for the conversation because yeah. you and I have a relationship that goes back. And I did. I coached you for Leadville. And we knew each other before for that. Sure. Um, and we've stayed in touch since then. And we do talk talk shop a lot, yeah. um, for, for lack of a better term. But I think you've got an amazing story. And I'm excited for the opportunity to share some of it here. So let's just start with what you're known for. You are primarily known for now your films, Billy mm-hmm. Yang Films. You put out a lot of great content, mostly around ultra running, yeah. a lot of it that you have just done to satisfy your own curiosity, some of it brand work, but amazing stories, some of it about yourself, a lot of it about others. Last night here in Austin, we watched your most recent film with... Uh, about Dave Mackey that yeah. you created with Matt Trapp. Um, for Trappy, all, by the Trappy, way. Trappy, sorry. Yeah. And, and I think <laughs> he's in the room wrong. so he can hear that. But for Ultra. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. And Dave Mackey's got an inspiring story. And you told it in a way that I think only you guys could tell it. Um, and because you're so ingrained in this community... Uh, I don't think someone could have come in from the outside and taken what was already, I mean, it's an amazing story no matter how you look at it. Dave Mackey falls off a mountain, gets his leg crushed, ends yeah. up having to amputate it, then comes back and runs Leadman. I mean, 
just that. I mean, it's what incredible. I just told is amazing in its yeah. own and someone else could put their spin on it. But you, because of your relationships and because of your experience in the sport and because of your storytelling ability, are able to tell it in such a way that really just like gets to you on the inside. And that's how I felt when I watched it. So let's start there. When did you pick up your first camera and realize <laughs> that this is something that I want to play around with? Yeah. You know, I was having this conversation with um, uh, another fellow filmmaker, Dean Leslie, when he was on my podcast about, you know, when you first start playing in this medium, I don't think, especially, um, you know, at the time that I first picked up my first video camera, which is probably, God, I, I actually thought if there was anything in this medium that I would do to be in front of the camera, I was very hammy as a kid. I think my dad... My dad would do this thing where he would just on a tripod set up this old video camera with you know the tape deck and and he would just hit record and me and my little sister we would just do random bizarre crazy quirky things in front of the camera where we would dance we would sing and um yeah and I remember like growing up in the church we would have uh, camps these retreats and I would, um, we put on sketches and I really enjoyed that part. So my parents always thought I was going to be an actor or something, something like a performer in front of the camera. Um, but at the, in conjunction with that, uh, I remember in like junior high school, my buddy and I, you know, when you have, when you're off in the summer, you just have a bunch of time to kill. And my buddy and I would pick up my dad's video camera and we would we, we made these, God, and I wish I could find these somewhere, but unfortunately my dad's not around with us anymore. Um, we, <laughs> we didn't really edit it. We would have like these smash cuts of, um, you know, like I remember one of the videos we created was, I was Jason from uh, Friday the 13th. Sure. I had the Jason mask and it was me chasing him around and I would do silly stuff like from his POV, it would show me with a fake wooden sword, like cutting off his arm. And then we would smash cut to him, you know, doing that thing where he stuck his arm inside his shirt. Like he was like, you know, he was, he had a stump and, you know, and then we would also make, um, like music videos in high school in my living room again. Um, for you younger folks, this is the MTV days and music videos oh, were oh yeah. big all yeah, the yeah. rage. So we made music videos, hip hop videos, uh, heavy metal videos, just random. Is this all on VHS? This is all. It's not even VHS. I don't. Even, I forget what the tape decks were called. It's the size of they were a wall. Smaller, yeah. Right. Um, and I know this is somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and I really wish I could throw back Thursday to some of these because I know they're ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I. It was funny. Like I actually thought about it. I was like, huh. I guess I my love for being behind the camera uh, kind of preceded you know like more recent times. Um, I, of course, at the time, there was no viable career. Everything was done in Hollywood, right? For tens and thousands, you know, millions of dollars. So you were either big time or you weren't. Doing yeah. It. Yeah. And it just so happens we're living in this time. And I, I never take this for granted where this became an option. This became a viable solution for, if not a career, but at least for hobbyists and a different form of storytelling. And so I, I'm constantly blown away by this interesting period, you know, in the very macro sense without getting too heady, this really unique period of time that we get to live in 
where we're connected to different people in the world, um, people who can see your work, you know, something you craft in your basement, not literally, but sometimes literally, sometimes literally. And like, it never fails to blow me away that I get messages from people in Ireland, South Africa, um, Europe, Asia that are seeing my work and it just blows me away. So and I think a lot of that now is the distribution. We have so many platforms and channels with which to get our work out. Yeah. It's not YouTube, even on the production Instagram. side. It's, yeah. It's just, it's, it's more accessible than it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, think about this podcast. This was, um, I was having this conversation with somebody and I don't want to date myself too much, but like pump up the volume. Do you know that movie with Christian Slater where he had this pirate radio show that was essentially a podcast, you know, and now it's ubiquitous. And, you know, if you want to do a podcast, it's a lot easier to do. The barrier of entry is nowhere near as great, but it's, I don't know. It's kind of like this interesting time that we get to live in and, um, you know, have these offshoots and interesting side hustles or for some of us, you know, full time. Yeah. And for you now, this is your career. But when you first started, I mean, you just explained how you first got started with the camera and making music videos and having fun as a, a kid. What was the first project that you worked on, not necessarily in the ultra running space. Maybe it was, I don't know. What was the first project that you worked on that you either got paid for or you released to a wider audience? Yeah. So to bring it back to somewhat more recent times, um, I think I want to say it was 2008 and I'll try to condense the story, but back then the big thing was uh, runner's world forums where people communicate and engage in within the running community and um, essentially a message board. Yeah. And I remember seeing this trailer for this film that this guy was working on. It was called running for my father. And um, I had lost my father and that's how I found distance running. And that's a whole long windy road in of itself. But when I saw that trailer, I just reached out to this guy and I said, Hey, that looks really touching. I lost my father too. So on and so forth. And, um, and when we messaged each other back and forth and it turns out he lived like three blocks away from me or something like that. So we met up for a run. Uh, and then after the run, he, we went back to his studio. He's a composer, a film composer. And then he showed me the film or the uh, rough cut of the film. And it was still nowhere near done. But what ended up happening is that I just kind of looked over his shoulder and started helping him craft the story. And... We released the film. It's out on DVD. Uh, we had a whole big premiere, and um, we just decided to like continue to work working with each other in form of production company. So this was back in two thousand. Oh God, it's like somewhere like two thousand nine ish, two thousand ten ish, maybe. So you were essentially serving an apprenticeship. Yeah. Well, it was a, a partnership. Well, yeah, actually, I, a partnership. I had no idea what I was doing. He yeah. was using Final Cut and. And the only thing I could say would be like, how about we move that part over there? And, you know, why don't we draw this out or, you know, like just helping him craft the story. And, uh, but yeah, it's essentially being a backseat driver and going, no, take this off wrap or <laughs> go this way. And um, that lasted about a year and a half. And then uh, we disbanded and he, uh, I think he did, he went back to more of the film composing. Whereas I, I wanted to keep, pursuing this as an option. So I started actually learning the craft of filmmaking. I went to, I didn't go to a formal film school, but I did go through a program where it was designed for um, people to get into like the film, the Hollywood unions. You know, if you wanted to go into camera, um, you studied the camera and you went through that whole program, set lighting, you went through set lighting. 
But I went into the program and I said, I told the director, I said, hey, I have no interest in being in Hollywood. What I'd like to do is like taste each one. So I, I learned a little bit about camera. I learned a little bit about sound. I learned a little bit about uh, set lighting and so on and so forth. And essentially wanted to form my own company or do my own thing. Hey, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. And it's one that I think you trail and ultra runners are going to love. It's the Tran Selkirk's Run. What is the Tran Selkirk's Run? Well, you have two options. There's a 100K that takes place over three days or a 100 mile, which takes place over five days in Revelstoke, British Columbia in Canada. The whole event takes place the last week of August. That's Sunday, August 25th through Thursday, August 29th, 2019. Every day is a different stage. There's different terrain from lush lowland rainforest to rugged alpine. There's diverse flora and fauna, as much vert as the Hard Rock 100 or UTMB over the course of multiple days. And the entire thing is based at the Revelstoke Mountain Resort where cozy beds pool, massage, hot tub, and bar await you at the end of each stage. Sounds pretty awesome to me. Gourmet catered dinner at the Revelation Lodge overlooking the Columbia River and Begbie Glacier after each stage. The pricing is in Canadian dollars, which favors those using U.S. dollars as the exchange rate right now. So why travel to Europe when you can run through wild, pristine mountains in Canada? You fly into Calgary, you drive through four national parks, that's Banff, Yoho, Glacier, and Mount Revelstoke, and route to Revelstoke. For Morning Shakeout listeners, they are offering a great deal, 10% off your entire package. And you can take advantage of that by going to TranSelkirksRun.com. That's T-R-A-N-S-E-L-K-I-R-K-S.com and entering the code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That is MORNINGSHAKEOUT, all caps, all one word, no the, for 10% off your registration. My thanks to Trans Selkirk's Run for their support of the Morning Shakeout. Now let's get back to the show. What were you doing professionally then? So, yeah, I mean, the whole story and how I found running, actually, a lot of this stems from um, when I like kind of very suddenly lost my dad. And he had a, um, he had like a, you know, like a wine and spirit shop in, um, like a better part of LA and, um, like West Hollywood, Beverly Hills area. And, um, he, yeah. And one, and at the time I was working in marketing, you know, typical nine to five job for your dad. Huh? For your dad? No, no, no. For oh. uh, a whole other company. Whole other I, had, company. I had my life and I was doing my thing. Got and, it. Um, I was still smoking at the time. I had this whole different... There was no pathway in which I can envision becoming involved in the running you're, space. You're so far removed from Yeah, it. in high it school, when I played high school football, I remember looking at these dorks in split shorts, like running around and, you know, running cross country and like as a sport. And I shook my head going... And that was punishment for us. So I, you know, I had to reframe it in, you know, like I, there was, it just, it was pure torture for me to see running as anything but torture. Like that's how I envisioned it. So, um, yeah, but when, um, when we suddenly lost our dad, um, I had to, I had to make a choice and I had to make sense out of everything. It was a very chaotic time for our family. Um, but I don't know how much I wanted to get, get into that particular aspect of my life. And some, at some point, uh, maybe I'll share a little bit more, but, 
Um, what ended up happening was like, I eventually quit my job, took on the family business. And, um, did you, I actually, did you sort of become, for lack of a better term, the man of the house at yeah, that point? Yeah, I, I do have an older brother, but he had his whole life down in San Diego with the family. And so I had to assume as a second up, I had to assume more of the responsibility. But what happened was at the same time, I was trying to be a police officer. Um, and that... Hold up, hold up. Yeah. So <laughs> you were working in marketing. Yeah. Lost your dad. Lost, lost my dad. Quit my job to take over the family business. Take over the family business. You, and I was going to say, you have the, you have the family business. Yeah. You've taken over more of a role in that. So while you're working this marketing yeah. job, were you studying criminal justice no, 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 or no. were you on some kind of path? Or So I, so the, the company that I was with, I quit to work at our family store. Got it. Okay. Step one. Which we still have. But I, I knew that was not a long-term goal of mine to do that and solely that. So I was trying to, in this very chaotic time where I was trying to make sense of everything, I thought, I somehow thought about the LAPD and I forget exactly how this happened. No, no, no. I was inspired by the, my dad was murdered basically. So there was a detective work that, you know, I had very intimate interactions with detectives that worked on my father's case. And I was really inspired by their work because they apprehended there were like five people involved. It's this whole crazy mess that happened. But because I was inspired by the police work, I wanted to become a police officer. So, but I couldn't do that and be a pack of day smoker. So I remember being at the store while I was going through, they call it the process. You know, you start with uh, like a written test and then you just kind of move up the ladder to yep. become a police officer. And I knew if I went through that, completed that process, there would be the police academy and that would not fly. You know, me and my pack a day habit would not. There was a to. long way between where you were and the police yeah. academy at that so point. So I remember what happened was that, and I was smoking like 12 years at this time. So what I had to do was completely alter my lifestyle. And so every time I craved a cigarette, what I would do is just run around the block, like intervals basically, without the warm up until it was out of my system, until I was huffing and puffing. And somehow that, you know, this, this guy who thought running was the stupidest thing in the world. Um, and then who ran around like an idiot, like around a city block. You came up the with store. that all on your own. Yeah. All on my own this idiot like sprinting around the block until I was out of breath and like doing that several times a day became running for you're me. You're just in your street clothes, whatever you were wearing oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Just like me, you know, in jeans, sometimes boots, you know, <laughs> but now who the hell knows? Like I just did it. And, um, and then that went from, you know, a guy, a guy at my gym that I befriended who suggested we run a half marathon. And then somehow I was like, yeah, well, I'm running now. And somehow that became a viable option. So, so that's when the flip switched for you. Yeah. So I ran my first half marathon. It was like, flip, two, yeah, the 2007 Pacific Shoreline half marathon, which is now the Surf City half marathon. I did that and I had what many would typically describe as a runner's high, like mile 10 or 11. I got I remember like running down, you know, down Huntington Beach. The sun was low. It was like right in my eye. And I had this very, this moment of euphoric bliss and started crying. 
you know, the whole thing. I started thinking about my dad and I was just like, it, it became like a very spiritual moment for me. And I finished that race and I was like, well, I have all this momentum, you know, built around running. The LA Marathon is a month away. Why don't I just sign up for that? So sign up for the LA Marathon and then... Was the half the longest you had ever run to oh, that yeah. point? Dude, I remember... I remember <laughs> like the weekend before Pacific Shoreline, I said to myself, oh shit, I should really try to run, like do some, you know, runs beyond like the four milers we ran around the track. Um, so I, I did this eight miler. It was like a very atypical, atypical cold, you know, day in West LA where I was living at the time. So I like wore a knit cap and it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wore a knit cap, a button down. I may have worn like a puffy and I ran eight miles. It's probably 60 degrees out for those of you listening at home because this <laughs> yeah, is how SoCal is for roll, SoCal. FYI. No, it was like a legit like 30, 30 to 40 degrees. Maybe, right. yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was in the 30s. And um, I remember finishing and thought, holy shit, I am this badass who just ran eight whole miles. And I walked into a Carl's Jr., because I was influenced by ultra marathon men at the time. So I was like, I can eat whatever I want now. So I stood in line, I was kind of stretching and I was waiting for the cashier to ask me, what the hell were you up to? And then finally he asked and I was like, yeah, I just ran eight miles, you know, uh, NBD, you know, like kind of showing off. And, um, it was a very big deal at the time. Um, and I still remember finishing the half marathon going, Oh my God, there's no way I can do twice this, but just went for it. And, um, and then shortly thereafter, I discovered trail running and the rest, as they say, is history. So before we get there, how did LA go for you? Um, you know, it wasn't bad. I wasn't running for time and I just took it upon myself to say, um, you know, you're going to run this whole thing, but you will be allowed to walk through eight stations. And I did. And I ran a very pedestrian time, um, you know, like just under five hours, like 4.58. But again, it was a very, something about running... You know, at some point I would reach this very like spiritual state and I'm kind of rolling my eyes, which you can't hear, but it, it I can was, I mean, it, his eyes. Yeah, it, at some point during distance running, especially when it gets hard, I do, I do kind of fall into this state of mind where I'm, you know, it's all like heart and head and, you know, you push through and, and that's just something that I never really had growing up. I've never saw value in the journey. I never saw value in the, you know, the process. So I'm going to put a pin in that. So we're going to come back to it. You had mentioned earlier your blog. Yeah. LA runner. Still one of your 47,000 social handles right (laughs) now is, is LA runner. At least that's the one that I follow. (laughs) Okay. How did that come to be? LA runner, the blog, the the blog, the handle, the persona, whatever. Yeah. The blog just kind of detailed my running, my training. Um, I was, I would always put picture to to my writing. So I would do like, I would always run with a point and shoot and set up these timers, um, which at the time was completely silly and maybe still is silly, but people do it on Instagram all the time now. Um, and I think something about maybe the storytelling or race reports that people connected with. And I still remember the first time I got recognized through my blog, like I was like blown away. Um, someone recognized you in person on yeah, the street. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, holy shit. Um, this is reaching people, but yeah, I, like I was a big fan of blogs at the time. Um, still I am to some degree, but 
Yeah, it was just like the medium we had to work with. So race reports, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, I would always talk about like food and pop culture stuff too on occasion. But yeah, that was my version of storytelling at the time. So yeah. And at that time, which was the heyday of blogging in general, certainly in running, it was almost like Instagram is today. You had all these personalities, you had blogs and they all had their different spin on it. Some people would share the training, people would share other thoughts, but the big takeaway from that is those stories inspired others in some way. And it's been interesting, you know, putting my content hat back on again to see how that's evolved. And now because we have these smartphones, which weren't quite as ubiquitous at the time, we can just pull it out of our pocket and we see it as we're scrolling through an Instagram feed, whereas a blog, I mean, it's kind of cumbersome now to go to a website and yeah. let it load and have to read all this stuff. And God damn, uh, it sounds like we're talking about something that happened 20, 30 years ago. This wasn't that long ago when all we had were blogs 10, and 10 message, ago. message boards. Yeah. It's crazy how fast things are accelerating yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, you mentioned trail running or getting into it after LA. Yeah. And that is primarily your focus now yeah. how did that first come into your life what was your introduction to the dirt uh, i don't really know you know my parents always ingrained in me the love of the outdoors my mom is one of these um you know runners you see the the asian hikers that you see on on some of these mountains especially in southern california where they're with their other little running hiking uh, not running hiking friends and um they always had a love of the outdoors. They always took us to, um, you know, when we go to Hawaii, we do these big hikes and, um, you know, in Southern California, who knew there were trails and they would introduce, you know, me and my siblings to them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, it was something that I always wanted to try, but I was always intimidated by. And then finally I said, fuck it. And met up with this old, um, older, let me be nice to them older group of people um, called the trail running club and god i still remember my first run that i did with them um it was like up the coast on the northernmost region of the santa monica mountains and it was uh it was in march it was march of like probably 2008 and i remember i was on this trail run and we went up and over this clearing and we were exp- we were like this giant field this green grassy field was revealed to me and i swear to god i thought i like went into a portal and got uh transported to somewhere in ireland or scotland and i had i just had no idea from all my time in li- living in southern california that we had this beautiful lush trail system accessible to us and from that point on, I was just hooked. Like, I still love road running. I'm still a fan of marathons and whatnot. But um, it was just a natural evolution to get go from trail running to ultra running. And uh, back then, there were these smaller races that came through Southern California, and it had a very had a very familial vibe to them post race, where people just hung out and kind of picnicked and shared a beer, um, shared some chili and Super grassroots. yeah, just shared word stories. And that was very like that fit my vibe very well. Felt like you found your people. Exactly. You know, um, again, not to date myself too much, but, uh, if you know the no rain video by blind melon, where there's this little bumblebee girl and 
she feels kind of out of place throughout the entire video, but then finally she opens a gate and she finds her bumblebee people. That's when I found my trail running people. And that's what I felt like. I will never watch that video the same way again. <laughs> yeah. I'm the fat little Because I still girl. will watch those old videos. Now yeah. they're on YouTube. They're not on MTV anymore. Yeah. But that's... Black Melon's a great band, head. by the way. I'm that's, a big fan of them. That's one of my top three favorite songs of all time. Is it no really? Mm -hmm. No Rain? Yeah. Awesome. You mentioned Dean Karnaz's book mm -hmm. and... Well, how it influenced you to go eat at Carl's Jr. after your eight-mile run. But I know that's not the only influence that it had on you mm -hmm. as a as a runner and your introduction into yeah. ultra running. Let's dig into that a yeah. little bit. What effect did that book have on you specifically in terms of your interest in pursuing longer distances? Dude, completely random set of circumstances. I remember I was in the valley um, to people who are familiar with the LA area. There's a valley portion of it over the hill. And I was going to, I was, I went over there to take a, um, a motorcycle class and had some time to kill. So I popped into a Barnes and Noble nearby. Barnes and Noble's kits. Um, that was a book and mortar. <laughs> it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a retail store. It still is. But um, a little more ubiquitous at the time. That's where people popped into. So Barnes & Noble popped in there. And I was thumbing through. I'm a big sports fan. So I was thumbing through like basketball books, football books in the sports section. And then this book caught my eye. The cover, this badass dude ripped um, running through mountains. And, and so my curiosity got piqued and I opened the book. And then I think the first... The first story is about Dean's out somewhere and he orders a pizza and the pizza guy meets him. And uh, so, I mean, right there, like you had me hooked. You're talking about food <laughs> and junk food at that. But yeah, I got hooked on the book. I think I thumped, I think I read through like the first 10 pages and I finally decided to buy the book. And then I, that was, I'm not a huge reader, but I probably went through that book like in, you know, less than 24 hours. And went through it again, started uh, dog-earing some of the pages, underlying some of the passages. Um, and then that's also when I first got introduced to Western States. And this entire world opened up. And, um, you know, lo and behold, I'm sure. So what's funny is that the composer guy, by the way, what he, the project he was working on at the time was... J.B. Benna's film, Ultra Marathon Man, 50-50, he was scoring that film. So it all kind of like neatly like wrapped together. And I still remember when that film premiered in Los Angeles and I met Dean for the first time. It was like meeting a Beatle. I got wide-eyed and I shook his hand and I was like, don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a big thrill. And so Dean's had a huge impact in my life for sure. And aside from meeting him there, you've worked with him now on yeah. a number of different projects. Do you pinch yourself still from time to time? And this is the guy who <laughs> piqued my interest in yeah. this stuff. And here I am working on a project with him. Well, I don't know how it is for you. I think for me, being such a big fan of running in general, and I've, I still remember I had the same feeling when I met Josh Cox for the first time. I still had the same feeling when I met you know Meb for the first time. Um, guys like Anton, it's it's a little surreal and bizarre, and um, I will probably never get used to it. Because, um, and I always try to show that same amount of respect when people come up to me, because I know what that's like for people to 
to see you know someone's work that you follow and you meet them for the first time um and dean was super gracious and and a total you know nice he was there he didn't disappoint me at all you know when they say don't meet your heroes um and dean was amazing and he still is um so I, yeah i mean i it's um Sorry, your original. I lost track of your original question, but like I, I will, I will remember my roots from time to time, and I guess that's my question: is when you work with, I say Dean specifically, just well, because you're of his book. You're interviewing Desi after this. Um, like, Spoiler. what do you? Are you? Yeah, are you just like just chilling and like? Do you just try to be like you know play it cool, or do you ever? Are you ever honest with some of these people that you really look up to, and you're like, I can't believe we're doing this. Never the last part, yeah. um, because I've been doing it for so long now. Yeah. It just kind of, you know, it's what I do, and I'm I'm pursuing it, and I try to create these opportunities for myself. So that's more uh, or less my approach. I try to play it cool, but deep down inside, I'm like, holy shit. But I do realize, to go a level deeper, I I do realize that not everyone has that opportunity, so I don't yeah. take it for granted. Yeah. Um, but I've gotten to a point now because I have been around the sport and in the industry for so long that I can't tell you how many times I've interviewed Des or Meb or been around them at events in unofficial capacities where we're just shooting the shit. Yeah. And I feel really comfortable around them. Yeah. And I don't get starstruck I haven't been starstruck in a long time, but I will always, before the interview or even afterward, never during, just say, this is a real cool opportunity. You just interviewed the Boston Marathon champion, or at least that's what I'll remind mm -hmm. myself of after I talk to, to Desi later. And that's, yeah, that's pretty, you know, it's pretty cool. And, and it's just, there's a connection there. You know, there's a, there's a connection to like when I see where someone like Des has come from or where someone like Meb has, has come from. And while I can't, my own story doesn't necessarily parallel theirs, but I can take parts away from it. And then I, I see, you know, sort of where they're at and, and I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. I got, you know, I got to like ask that person about, you know, that, that journey. I don't know if that answers. Well, answers I think you question, and I are but, kind of uh, slightly different in the sense that you probably have a healthy amount of self-esteem, whereas I don't, I'm always the kid who at six years old came to this country from South Korea, didn't know a lick of English. We lived in a um, pretty impoverished area, you know, section of Hollywood at the time where we, you know, were like we had two studio apartments that I shared with my brother, but also doubled as our family kitchen. And my mom and my dad and my little sister stayed in the other studio apartment, like across the hall from each other. We had, you know, rats on the floor on occasion and my entire objective coming to this country where, you know, my first day of first morning of class, I still remember I cried and crawled under a table the entire, um, like period of class because I was just so confused and scared, but I made it my objective to always want to fit in from that point on. And do you still struggle with that? Well, I've really embraced I see a lot more value in just being myself and being true to who I am. And I think uniqueness is a virtue. I think uniqueness is a, is, you know, being yourself and being authentic to who you are 
And being true to that is a lot more valuable than just being part of the herd and not standing up. But there is a, certainly a part of my personality that would almost like to fly under the radar and not stand out. So yeah, in a lot of ways, I'm still this introverted, shy, scared little kid. And um, you know, another story growing up in my childhood was that I think it was sometime around like seventh grade where I like I thought I was like finally in with the cool crowd, and I invited like everybody in my class to show up to my birthday party. And my mom bought a ton of food and and it, <laughs> long story short, essentially like out of like the 50 or 70 people I invited, like eight people showed up. And so I always have like this tiny bit of anxiety before like movie screenings <laughs> where I'm in seventh grade again. And, you know, people are invited to come to my film premieres, this thing that I created, um, like no one will show up, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's something I, I, I wouldn't say I struggle with it. It's, I think it's, it always kind of keeps my uh, ego in check and keeps me humble. But um, I'm, if I'm completely honest and, and uh, you know, somewhat vulnerable, I, I would say there's still that little child in me that exists. Well, since we're here, yeah, let's keep going with this thread here. When did you first start to say to yourself, this is who I am and have that, have that confidence that you alluded to and I'm not going to... Mm-hmm. kind of care so much well i think running think. played a big part in that i think running is um essentially you just you know get out what you put in and i was always somebody who was looking for shortcuts in life and the hack i don't know it's very much a i think it's a dna thing and i still struggle with it to this day um, but running has taught me a lot of uh, about work ethic and hard work and um, you know, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's still something that I use as a vehicle to sort of, and I'm using air quotes here, connect with my dad. Cause it is a, it is very much a spiritual journey for me. And there are times almost every time during like hundred milers or sometimes hundred Ks or 50 milers where, you know, towards the latter part of the race, I'll kind of audibly talk to him and I'm not a religious guy per se, but, um, there's something about like life is funny sometimes and life takes some unexpected twists and turns. And I think he would find it a humorous, (laughs) but also be like, I know he'd be super proud of where I am because it was very much about embracing the journey and the process. And you can't, you really can't fake your way through uh, some of these races, you know, these longer races in particular um, without putting in the work. So you answered my next question, but I'd like to go a little further on it. Mm -hmm. What do you think your dad would think of the path that you have taken over the last 10 years? Yeah, I I do think he'd be extremely proud. And I think, um, you know, my mom is super proud. She'll share, (laughs) she'll share like Mont Blanc, you know, this film I made about UTMB with like complete strangers and to our hiking friends. Um, You know, they've, it doesn't help that I'm bookended by like these perfect Asian, like son, uh, you know, son and daughter. My sister and my brother are were straight A students. You know, my brother's software engineer had married his first girlfriend, has three kids. Uh, my sister also a, a straight A student. You know, went to 
went to Penn, went to, uh, you know, like got accepted to Johns Hopkins for grad school, but, you know, went to SC. But she, they're both incredibly bright people. They also teach Sunday school. And then here I was. The delinquent. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was a horrible student. I went through my phases, you know, the cigarettes and the booze. Um, but I cared a lot more about, you know, going back to, uh, you know, fitting in. I cared a lot more about my social status. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think to go from where I was, this lost kid who had, um, you know, who essentially just wanted to get a nine to five job and go to work like everybody else, have the white picket fence and the, you know, the family and the two and a half kids to go from that to who I am now. I think, um, this feels most authentic to me. Um, you know, while I may not have those things, I may not have the steady income. I think living a life that's authentic to me, um, would be, would be the thing that my dad would be most proud of. What do you see as your own personal purpose right now? That's a loaded question. Personal purpose. Um, you know, I, I really never get tired of the messages I receive. People telling me they saw the why or people telling me they saw Western Time or some of the other projects that I've made and how much that work has impacted their lives. And it's not even just about, you know, my stories and on, on the screen, on display. I really love highlighting other athletes. I really love bringing them up and, um, and people who are, you know, when I go to Chamonix and I see Zach and Tim and, um, you know, and some of the other athletes that I've featured and seeing how much they they've connected with other people through, um, through, you know, my film and beyond is like, it makes me immensely proud. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like proud Papa bear walking through the streets with them and they're getting stopped every few you know meters because people have seen them you know well you've shared their stories yeah but i and like it i know it sounds like it may come across as an ego thing but i swear to you it's not i i think my purpose is to share people's stories share my story um share any stories that will impact people's lives and um and i love the idea of the content that i create living beyond me i do um I try not to get too wrapped up in legacy and all that crap, but there, when I do allow myself to take a step back and look at the work that I'm creating and to, you know, have it impact people beyond just like, the, you know, the small circle of runners to actually create runners, people who have told me that they started running, um, you know, not necessarily hundred milers, but marathons, five Ks because they've seen a film of mine. Fuck, man. Like, you can't put a price on that. No, you can't. And I think for me on a very similar level, that's what I want to do, especially through this podcast, is sharing people's stories because I know they're going to resonate. I never know who they're going to yeah. resonate with or on on what level, but I know they're going to resonate. And that is something I'm aware of when I bring something on, you know, knowing you and knowing, you know, your story. And I mean, we're only scratching the surface of it here. I know this conversation is going to resonate with someone and inspire them in some way. And that makes, you know, that makes me feel good because that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm achieving that objective, but just it's representative that we need to keep telling these stories. They're important. And what surprises me, I try to largely keep myself out of it. I want to be kind of the, the 
conduit. I want to allow you to tell your story. And I'll hear back from people, whether it's this podcast or something that I write in my newsletter. They're like, we want more Mario. We want more of your story. And like you, I don't do a lot of media where I'm on the other side of the mic mm-hmm. answering the questions. I don't want it to be about me. Um, but then people say that the stories that I have shared, they inspire them. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Because I've never you, thought of, I'd never thought of myself as, yeah. as the story share. So I'm, where I'm getting with this is, is I'm coming to a place where I'm like, you know what? It's got to be about the stories. Always be about the stories. And it can be about the stories that I'm allowing people like yourself to tell. But it's okay for me to start telling more of my own. And that's something that, honestly, I'm still trying to get more comfortable with. Mario, you did a podcast with um, Julie, Julia Hanlon, uh, Running On Own Podcast. Um, you'll have to look it up because she's not doing her podcast anymore. But that was one of the most incredible, vulnerable, impactful interviews that I've heard. And I encourage all of you guys to um, to download that podcast because you shared a lot of yourself that I I have no doubt that you impacted other men's lives in particular because of. And I've the- never shared much of that anywhere, but yeah. Julia, who may or may not be listening to this, and Julia, I wish you would restart your show because it was great. She was great. Um, she got those stories out of me, yeah. And her audience, her listenership, may be very different from this one, but. It resonated. I heard a lot back from that. And and that was one of the instances that helped me realize that my own story is powerful too. Uh, And I think that's what's, you know, back to what we were talking about early on in this conversation. You know, we have these platforms, we have these different means of getting these these stories out. And I think that's a great thing. Dude, the undercurrent to all of that is it comes back to vulnerability and being open and being open to sharing your story. And I think one thing I struggled with was owning my story, owning my past, owning the narrative of, you know, me as an immigrant coming to this country. I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to I blend in. Yeah. I didn't want to be, uh, you know, I don't like sharing stories of like the harsh upbringings that I had and, you know, growing up in Hollywood and, you know, immigrant family and all that. I just wanted to be like everybody else. But man, when you own your story and you're open to being vulnerable and showing the sometimes ugly underbelly of who you are, this world opens up. And I think, A, you just feel a lot more comfortable in embracing who you are and owning your own story. And I think that is something I finally learned later in life to really embrace and open up to. Like me from a decade ago, like listening to myself right now, like sharing some of the things I'm sharing with you, I would cringe and I would run away and I would, I would shy away from all of that. But when you own your own story, man, and you're open to sharing it with other people, I think that's what it's all about. And I think that's how you really create that connection and that real authentic, you know, like voice, you own your voice and you own your story. So yeah, I, I mean, it may sound a little cliche, but there's a lot of truth in that. And it feels true to me and um, allowed me to get to where I am now. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Not that I want to wrap up this conversation, but we are, yeah, on, a, we'll, we'll, we are on a timeline here, so yeah. I've got to get moving. But this was awesome. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for making the time to chat with Dude, me Dude, and this Mario, like, really thank you for what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate that you finally decided to do this. I can't believe years gone by. It's fucking crazy, right? And I will say this... You have been one of my most requested guests, and I keep telling people who inquire, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So 
we'll call this round one. I don't know when round two is going to be, but there will be one at some yeah. point. So we have a lot more that we need to get into. But for those of you listening who are being exposed to Billy for the first time, check him out at Billy Yang Films. Check out his podcast, the Billy Yang Podcast. He has some incredible in-depth conversations with not just ultra runners, entrepreneurs, other personalities that I am personally inspired by not only their stories, but the way in which you approach them. So thank you for that. But I encourage all of you to check it out. And yeah. I and think- let me show some love back because like really like Mario is super intelligent. He can be, he can work a nine to five job. I'm sure make six figures easily. He's doing work that feels like can be of most service to other people. So if you're if you're out there and you're willing to chip in to his Patreon page, sign up for his newsletter, like whatever little thing you can do to help support, you know, like Mario t- to be able to do this more and more frequently, I would highly you know, suggest you do that. Actually, I'm insisting you do that. And I'm going to check on it each and every one. <laughs> oh, I yeah. appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for everything. You got it, brother. This is fun. All right. Episode 39 is in the books. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Billy Yang. I'm going to have to have him back for a round two because there is a lot that we didn't get to in this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to audio content and leave a rating and a review. That is five stars, just a few words. It is the best way that you can support the Morning Shakeout podcast, helps other listeners find the show, and it means a lot to me. Thank you so much to everyone who has done so already. Also, a thank you to the Trans Selkirk's Run for sponsoring this episode. Why travel to Europe next summer to run when you could run through wild, pristine mountains in Canada? The Trans Selkirk's Run takes place the last week of August. That's Sunday the 25th through Thursday the 29th. They offer 100K and 100-mile options. Those take place over three and five days, respectively. And every day, you get a different stage and you get varied terrain. There's lush, lowland rainforest, rugged alpine, and everything in between. You also get to stay at the Revelstoke Mountain Resort. You get a cozy bed, pool, massage, hot tub, bar, and a gourmet catered dinner at the end of every stage. If you want to take advantage of a special 10% discount on your package, go to TransSellKirksRun.com. That's T-R-A-N-S-E-L-K-I-R-K-S.com. Click through to the registration link and enter Morning Shakeout. Know the, that is Morning Shakeout, all caps, all one word, and you will receive 10% off your registration package. Finally, one last thank you to John Summerford of BearsRecords.com. He is the man behind the audio magic here at the Morning Shakeout. He makes this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. And I have to thank him week in and week out because he makes my life a lot easier. All right, that is all I've got. I'm Mario Fraley, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.